from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm David Grosso, and you're listening to Follow the Prophet. Women in the workplace at every business and political conference you attend, there'll probably be a panel about more women in government, business, entertainment, and more. But still, a lot of places aren't really putting in the work to bridge the gap between men and women. Our guests today are two powerful women one of which I've met in real life, not just on the internet, who are working together to put women in these leadership roles. Joining me are Gina Glantz. She's the founder of Gender Avenger and Shelly Zalis, the CEO of the Female Quotient. Let's talk about how we can get more women on the path to profit. How are you ladies doing? Very well, thank you. So good. So, so Gina, let's start with you. 
wh- how are your organizations working to help you know reduce the gender gap that we see? Well, we define the gender gap as public presence, because in this country we define power through public presence. And we want to see women in leadership in business. We want to see women on stages. We want to see women on Zoom calls. Uh, We want to see women on best of lists. And the combination of the female quotient and Shelley and Gender Avenger is the perfect marriage to bring that mission forward. Because Gender Avenger involves individuals who take action by using tools that allow them to point out to organizations if they have good gender balance or not. And I'll let Shelley talk about female quotient and how it can affect the behavior, the attitudes and the actions of the business community. Well, I've seen you on stage, Shelley. That's something you do yourself, what Gina's talking about. I've seen you on stage, I've seen you in video. Tell us about the female quotient. Well, I mean, the female quotient is all about changing the equation and closing the gaps. And, you know, when you think about bringing awareness to a problem, I mean, it really starts with that. You create the tally and you create the awareness. And, you know, what we say is you can't treasure what you can't measure. So first you call it out. And then you got to close it and you got to create accountability for it. And I think that that's really what it's all about. You got to make the invisible visible. And once visible, you have a choice. Do you want to do something or not? And once you make a commitment to do something, you can't just talk about it, but you got to take action. And that's what it's all about. Take action. so one of the things that we're seeing is these days on college campuses, it's just like a tsunami of women, right? But in the highest echelons of power, we still don't see a lot of women. Is there a time lapse here? Is this cultural, especially in politics, if we want to get into that? Well, it's all the above. Um, you know, history is filled with the old boys club. So when you are choosing speakers, who do you call? You call your pals. And who are your pals? And who are the people at the same level as you? And so people don't do the work to find the women who have perhaps equal job titles or certainly equal talent and backgrounds to be on that stage. So I think there's sort of a long history that uh, has only begun to change um, over the last, you know, few years. Shelley, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think that we're at a flipping point and it just takes, you know, it, the, rule, the, the rules need to change. And when there was a boys club, now, you know, we started as a girls lounge. There was a boys club, the opposite of boys club is a girls lounge. You just gotta flip the script. And once you flip it, that's the flipping point. That's when you change the equation. When you put more women in positions of power, then we have a responsibility to bring more women to the table. When you bring more women to the table, then more women start coming in. You open the gates. You close the old door of inequity. You open the new door of equality. And that's the flipping point. And I think once you do that, that's where change happens. Like, why was it that way? Just because it was. But why does it have to be that way? No reason. So once you create this new opportunity, you take it. And once you take it, that becomes 
the new way. It doesn't have to be the way it was. It just means no one ever started this new thing. And Gina started this new thing. And that new thing becomes the new norm. And it's not that complicated. So I think that, you know, we always say a woman alone has power, but collectively we have impact and we're impacting change. And we're just creating the new way. And then all of a sudden you say, wow, look at this. It's a room filled with women. It's a stage with women. And once you start seeing women, if you could see her, you could be her. And once you see her, you say, oh, wow, that's kind of normal. And that becomes the new normal. It's no longer an exception. And the more women you see on stage, the more women you see in politics, the more women you see as doctors and lawyers on television in these roles with speaking parts, you say, oh, of course, why not? And that becomes the new, why yes. And that okay. But increasingly, increasingly there is um, awareness of the importance of sharing the stage. So the 50% of the population on the globe is represented at least by 50% on the stage. <laughs> um, and, you know, by not only, you know, women writ large, but women of color, women of different ages. And that, that is what Gender Avenger has been about, pointing out to leaders where they are failing to include the voices and the perspectives and the ideas of 50% of our world's population. So, so this is interesting, right? If you haven't noticed, I'm a guy, right? So when you're, when you're talking to dudes, right? How do, you, how do you make them feel like they should care about this issue? Because it's one of those things like, oh, you know, like, that's great, you know, go you, but why, does it, why should it matter to me? You as an individual or you as a leader within an organization? You as a leader within an organization, it is a factor in your reputation. Uh, we once discovered a conference by a major financial institution where the stage had more Michaels than women. <laughs> and that was a headline in the local paper. That is not helpful if you're trying to recruit women to your wealth management program. Right? So... You know, there's a very practical business reputation reason to do this. In addition, uh, I think in particular, one hopes, young men understand this completely because they have shared the classrooms with women, right? They have shared city councils with women. They have a different perspective than certainly people who are my age, but uh, even people <laughs> who are Shelley's age, right, um, have a di somewhat different perspective. Yeah, Shelley, why should why 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 should we care? I, I know I've read studies that you know a boardroom with more women assume less risk because one of the things as men that we do is kind of miscalculate risk in our brains. But above that, why should we care? Well, let's just talk about financial performance over 83% of purchase decisions are made by women. I mean, let's just talk about dollars and cents. I mean, so bottom line, it's not only the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do for business. So at the end of the day, that is truth. And so I think that I'm just gonna go with the first thing is about consciousness. 
I'm going to say it might not even be something that people think about. Let's make the unconscious conscious. And so why should gender equality is not a female issue. It's a social and economic issue. And so it might not be what people pay attention to. When you have a stage filled with men, people might not, people say, oh, well, there's no women that are experts available. I'm sorry. There are plenty of women <laughs> that are topic experts. But if you're looking for a CEO, we have a lack of female CEOs. We know the numbers, right? But if you look for topic experts, we have over 8,500 women that are topic experts across the board. So look for topic experts. We will be able to fill any slot in any category on any topic in any country that you are looking for. So no excuse. If you're looking for an excuse, you can find one. But if you were looking for a topic expert, we have more qualified women than you could possibly need to fill any slot at any conference on any stage. So let's talk about the labor market as it pertains to women. There's one big difference between men and women on the labor market is which, you know, I'm not going to physically give birth to a child, you know, to produce, you know, uh, years out of the labor market. Or sometimes, you know, women are presented with a choice to choose one or the other. So this is a hot button issue, of course, and I'd like for you both to speak to it. How a lot of, and I've heard this in the world, like, well, the gender gap is because women leave the workplace because they're, you know, trying to have kids. Tell me about that, Gina. You're already shaking your head here. Well, you know, I just can't believe, you know, women leave the workplace because they're trying to have kids. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't think that's right. I do think that we've been very slow to respond than things like parental leave. You know, it was 1993 when Congress passed a law that there had to be unpaid parental leave. And it's all these years later and we haven't moved to paid parental leave. And so we haven't, you know, sort of leveled that playing field because most often it is women who take time after birth to spend time with their newborns and their children. You know, this is uh, both a matter of public policy, but it's also a matter of how we conduct business in this country. What is it about a two or three month absence that makes, you know, corporate leaders think that that person can't come back, succeed, do well, step back? So it's a cultural issue, I think, as well as a policy issue. I'm sure Shelley has more to say on it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that if we want to attract and retain our best talent and not our available talent, we need to really think about caregiving. And our best leaders today, proven, are caregivers. And we are, are losing our best talent to caregiving, and men and women. And we really need to, to think about that. When we look at millennials today, um, we need to start thinking about shared responsibility at home. And by default, caregivers are still predominantly women. But if we think about all over the world, and if you look at our best leaders today, are women. 
and the best qualities of leaders today and the invisible skills, which we need to make more visible, are emotive, caring, passionate. Those are the best qualities of leaders today, the human elements and the ones that we don't reward, the ones that we don't, you know, we, we don't make visible. And when you look at the qualities of leadership, those are the ones that we need to recognize. And those are the ones that we're losing to care. And so if we think about parental leave and looking at rewarding those qualities of leadership and thinking about how we can reinforce those policies in the workplace for men and for women. And when men do take parental leave, they are more, um, they're better leaders in general. And millennials today are, are all taking maternity, paternity, parental leave and sharing that responsibility because they both want dual incomes. They want to figure out how to share that responsibility at home. So it is such an important um, thing for companies to get right because we also see so many people opting out of Fortune 500 companies today and starting their own businesses. And we're going to see more and more, the, more and more of that happening if Fortune 500 companies don't get this right. You and know, so- an, another part of this um, is because we, when we all could get together, focused on conferences and in-person conferences. And, you know, one of the key features of successful conferences involving young women is that they provide childcare, right? It's if you're invited to a conference and there's some kind of childcare available, then that makes it you know, easier for that family to participate. Uh, so, you know, these are um, kind of ways in which you can take into account the different lives that women lead and men lead and balance them in order to have women gain greater access to the public dialogue. So let's talk about women having it all. You know, about five, 10 years ago, that was always the conversation, right? Because the birth rate keeps on dropping in this country. And obviously, you know, we're dependent on women to reproduce, you know, and, you know, kind of bring up the next generation. So can women have it all? Is there a, is there a, crux in the road that they have to choose between child rearing and career. What are your thoughts on that, ladies? Well, I think women can have it all their way. So no such thing as balance. I think it's all about integration. One life, many dimensions. You got to, you know, integrate, pick and choose at different, you know, points of life. I call it life stage integration. And, uh, you know, I, I think that all companies need to allow everyone to have a you know life stage accommodation they need to life stage accommodate if they truly want to have um, and happy and successful companies i think that employees are the most important element of of a company and i think that yeah. you know, you know david you bring up go ahead, you bring up that question and it makes you know why are women expected to have it all what should have it all mean for a man? Should it mean having time with his children, having time with his spouse? That doesn't seem to be part of the equation. It always falls to the women 
to figure out, you know, how she can figure out her career, not to the leaders who want her talent or the conference organizers or even the Zoom call, you know, coordinators to think about the different lives we lead and how to make that access possible. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I get this pushback. And what's funny is time goes on, I get this pushback more and more. I feel like it's incumbent on me as an interviewer to ask these questions, because it is a very important point. And this all leads back to culture, that we've had to witness cultural changes to really change the conversation. You bring up an excellent point. No one ever asked me if I could have it all, right? It's just assume that like, oh, well, you're a young man, just go out and get them, Tiger. Right. But somehow with women, the conversation. But it seems like every year that conversation seems to be morphing a little bit. Well, there are new generations living different lives. I think, uh, you know, the future is brighter because they live in a much more diverse world. They live in a world that has much greater gender inclusion. Um, You know, so my children and grandchildren are growing up in a world where I hope Shelley and I are contributing to, they are seeing a world that they want to live in. One where they share stages, one where there's a path to power, one there, where there's an acceptance. Look, you know, you talk about, you know, guys and how they feel. Well, yeah, there's gonna be a shared power. You know, there's, there's kind of a, a custom to having and then there are women who belong there too. And so, uh, you know, sometimes there's a feeling of, why not me? Yeah, Shelly, have things, have things gotten a lot better, Shelly? Tell me, what in your career, what have you seen as time has gone on, the cultural changes? Well, you know, I was just gonna say, Gina and I are a generation apart. And Gina and I actually had this conversation because in, Gina's generation, she and her husband did have the conversation about both of them, you know, working, not working. And it was interesting, the conversation that they had. So she can talk about that. My husband and I, um, he's a butt doctor. He's a colorectal surgeon. (laughs) Actually, you know, my mother, my my father was a doctor. My mother um, did not work when she was raising us. Um, She did afterwards when we all were out of the house. I mean, she was doing fundraising and things like that. But when I was you know, gonna have children, I actually did not think I was gonna work. I was gonna stay at home. And my husband, whose mother was a single parent, uh, my husband looked at me and said, no, I think you should work because my mother worked and I think you're gonna wanna work. So I did work, but it was a conversation. My children, they, you know, they, with their, with their you know, partners, they both decided they're going to work. They're going to both, you know, parents are going to work because they want to be dual income and they are negotiating how that's going to work. They're both taking, when they have children, they're going to take parental leave and they're going to do, you know, six months, their jobs each give them six months parental leave. So they're going to take six months, each of them, and then six months. So that buys them a year so that by the time their child is a year old, their child will go to school. So they are already negotiating that. That is a completely different generation than my generation. So I am seeing how they are navigating their um, their paths. 
completely different generation. Shocking to me. I ne- my, my friends, when I was, you know, becoming a parent, none of my friends in my circles really were working. So it's a very interesting transition right now. And in my year, of course, my husband was told, oh, everyone was so sad for him. Right. Because he had this crazy wife who was always off working. How could he stand it? You know, um, so at least we've moved, Shelly, a little bit. Yes, I see the tides shifting. And I see women today, you know, that are just entering into the workforce all um, planning to, if you know, if they can, to work, and a lot of companies really thinking about um, caregiving and how they are going to work around these, you know, policies. And we, as the female quotient, working on advising companies on, you know, caregiving policies and how to most effectively work towards helping men and women with this, you know, Gen Z, millennial generation, most effectively ensure that women, you know, can thrive in the workplace. So one of the things I'm staring at right now is the Hollywood sign here in Los Angeles. I have a perfect view of it from where I'm standing right now. And that's a sector we've seen a lot of change in recently, specifically because of the Me Too scandals that have rocked the industry. You know, it seems like entertainment and politics are always really, really delayed. And it seems like those are the two biggest forces in our society for change, but they seem to be the most resistant to change. So we just got our first female VP. We still don't have a lot of female studio heads here in Hollywood. What can we do to spark change besides preach at these people like, hey, you should be doing this. We should be doing a lot of stuff, but it doesn't seem like people actually want to change. So I'm just gonna do it from the narrow gender adventure perspective. You know, as you know, if you can't measure it, you can't treasure it. It's not only true for the women who are watching the stage, but the men who are in leadership who are watching the stage. If women are given the opportunity to be on those public stages, to lead on those Zoom calls, they become candidates for higher office, for you know, a higher status within a business. You can't be invisible and move up. And once you're visible, so we often say as conference organizers, you don't put the same three women CEOs on stage. <laughs> look at the CMOs, look at the CFOs. You know, there are powerful, intriguing, provocative, you know, entertaining women who don't have to have that top title. And once they are seen often enough, some people are going to person could be the CEO performance within the organization and now I've seen her performance in the public and so I like to think that in a small way what we are doing by promoting and pushing forward women onto the public stages and into the public dialogue it is helping recognition of what women can be um, in our society. How about you Shelley? Yeah listen I think that um, measurement is very important Visibility, very important, but action 
is where change happens. And so I think that you need all of those things, but you also need to be in positions of power. So just putting women and men that are conscious leaders in positions of power, you got to also activate the change. So just putting people in these positions is one thing, but you also have to be in those positions and do something and create the changes that are going to create the actions that are going to be um, the things that, that make the difference. So, you know, when you look at the gaming business, you look at um, the entertainment business, if you still have the people that are the leadership in those positions that are unwilling to change the culture, change the rules, change the game, then nothing will happen. It's such a good point, Shelley, because, uh, you know, one of the excuses we often hear is, well, our president is a woman. (laughs) I don't care. You've got four men on stage. I don't care that your president's a woman. (laughs) That's not a substitute. Isn't going to, you know, we were just talking to a huge group of people. and, And I said, you know, we have choices. And so it's not just about sitting at the table and occupying a seat. What are you going to do once you have that seat? You have a responsibility and you need to use it. It's the same when we talk about having the choice of where you're going to put your money. If you're going to do a media buy, you have a choice of where you place your media. If you truly want to put your money um, in women's sports, because we know that only 4% of media spend goes to women's sports. If you want to change the equation for women's sports, where are you going to put your dollars? You have that choice. If you are the one spending your money, do you want to put it in men's or in women's? You can be, the, you're, if you're the media spender and you're making that decision, where do you want to put your money? You have the choice. And so we have the tools. We have the gender venture tally. We have the speaker equity assessor. We have the advancing equality calculator. We have the FQ equity index. We have the tools that will tell you where you are, where you have gaps. Then you have a choice. Do you want to fill them? Do you want to close them? Do you want to buy media here, there, there? Do you want to put women behind the screen? Do you want to put women behind the camera? You have the choice. You have the accountability. You have the responsibility. Do you want to just fill the seat and be an empty suit? Or do you want to make the right choice? Up to you. Don't point your finger at someone else. You have the power. Do you want to use it or not? So, David, I'd like, okay. You're going you gonna to ask me a question, Gina? You're going to turn no, the table here? To, no, I was just going to uh, ask for uh, a moment for a PSA for what Shelley has te- uh, referred to as the, that your listening audience uh, or viewing audience can know what the tally is. And the tally is an app called the Gender Avenger Tally, where you could tally, you know, the three of us or anything on stage. You simply put in the number of men, the number of women, the number of women of color, the number of non-binary individuals, and the app will create a pie chart 
showing the ratios, and you can put in the hashtag of the event, snarky, snarky little headlines, uh, if there aren't enough women, there aren't enough women of color, and then you can send that out through Twitter, through Facebook, through Instagram, or just in case you work for the organization, you can actually send it anonymously and we at Gender Avenger will make sure the hashtag is real and we'll post it on Twitter and Facebook. So it's a way to get attention. It's a very easy thing to do. You can do it while you're on a Zoom call um, and get the attention of the people who are in the kind of leadership positions that Shelley is talking about who can take action and make the change or change their behavior going forward. Well, that's really fascinating. So you're trying to leverage social media to bring more awareness and uh, initiate change. So sometimes, you know, what if you, sometimes the person, so obviously archetypes matter, seeing women on stage, seeing women in positions of power, seeing women on film, playing roles that are not, you know, tropes or stereotypes from the past. But sometimes a guy could be a better advocate for women than another woman. Can we talk about that? Because we see that a lot, right? We always see, and, the, and I see this being a, a member of a minority community, a lot of times when we see that person up in power, they, we, we interpret that they got up to that point by kind of like rejecting their own group. Like, well, it's just for me, but not for anyone else. So tell me about that. Sorry, you feel that way. We see um, that a lot. It's pretty, it's actually, unfortunately, a lot more common than we care to admit. Uh, well, I, you know, uh, I think we have to increase the uh, presence of women. And by doing that, you'll automatically solve that problem. I mean, you know, and why should men be advocates? You know, because if you want to be part of a greater conversation, if you want to demonstrate the value you put on women's voices, this is the opportunity. Uh, you know, we have often engaged men in our work. And one of my favorite stories is uh, a major, uh, retired at the time, uh, founder of a Fortune 500 business uh, was invited to speak. Someone was starting a new organization. And this man called up the organizer and said, well, who's gonna be on stage with me? because if there aren't women on stage, I'm not coming because I'm committed to that. We made you know, a huge difference. And there are men who will do that, who when they're invited to speak, they will ask who else is going to be speaking. And if there's not balance, gender balance and racial balance, you know, then they say, I'm, you know, find somebody else. And you'd be surprised how the organizers who wanted that first person don't hustle around and find other people. Yeah, you know what? We we so believe in all of us supporting each other. And, you know, one of the things that um, we call, we call we for we, that we're all in this together. And it is really, especially in the workplace, that it's not about, you know, men bringing women up or women just bringing women up. It really is about the power of the collective, that all of us are working together. That's what equality is all about, that um, we all support one another because that's what this should be. It's not about an, uh, an inequality or that we are just pushing women 
to the top because we we should be seen because we've been um, we're weak and we want to be seen. It's because we're all necessary in in the equation. We all bring amazing value to the table and we all should be supporting one another. So we call it we for we. And Great explanation. So I want to ask one more question before I leave you ladies. What is it going to take for us to have a female president in this country? As we know, many countries across the world, especially industrialized countries and even, you know, developing countries have had female presidents. But for some reason over here in North America, United States, Canada and Mexico have never had a female president. What is it going to take to get there? I don't know. I just hope it happens you know, before I die. <laughs> you want to see it, Gina? <laughs> I want to see it, but I'm 78. So the prospects aren't that hot. But nevertheless, you know, um, it's hard to predict what it will take, you know, um, and whatever you thought of Hillary Clinton, if you look back at that campaign, the kind of sexist coverage and the kind of attitudes to her that were so different in the reporting um, and the measuring of her campaign than for men. Um, so, you know, as there are more women who are governors, as there are more women who are senators, you know, and perhaps voters get used to women's leadership in the political world, that will pave the way. I, I was just going to say, you know, I um, was talking to Rosie Rios, the former treasurer of the United States, and Rosie was was telling me that, you know, I, I was walking through the um, Office of Treasury in the White House one day, and I saw this wall of all of the treasurers of the United States since, like, I don't remember what year it started. 19- almost all female, right? No, not almost. All female. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God, I had no idea that all of the treasurers in the United States since 1940-something, I was just going to look up what year it started, Roosevelt's, or I don't know, something. I said, how is this possible? She goes, well, it all started with one of the presidents, like way back when, brought on the first female treasurer of the United States. And then from that day on, all of them were female. So that's what it'll take. Once we have the first female president of the United States, which hopefully will be in the next election, I predict the rest will all be female. (laughs) (laughs) By starting, and that's what it's going to take. It'll just become the new norm. So we just got to break the code. And once we do the flipping point, the rest will follow. Well, there's a lot of a track record around the world. I'm specifically thinking of Angela Merkel over in Germany and how successful her tenure was and how recognized her leadership style was. So it doesn't seem like all hope is out. And especially since we have a current VP who is a female, Kamala Harris, for the Democrats out there, hopefully cross your fingers. And for the Republicans out there, I think we're seeing more and more female leadership And I think, like you ladies have mentioned this whole interview, until you see it, you can't really imagine it. And that's how culture works. So the the FQ's answer is why not? Like, it's just there is no reason 
why not? So once you start, you just keep going. Snowball. Well, I, for one, would be more than happy to vote for a female based on her, of course, postures and, you know, her plan for America. But in the meantime, I would love to have a female boss. So here's to hoping for change in the near future. On that note, Gina and Shelley, thank you for joining me today to talk about this very important issue. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. And Gina, here's to you. So exciting. So thanks to all of you for joining me for this episode of Follow the Profit. I'd like to thank Gina Glantz and Shelly Zalis for joining me today. You know, women in the workplace is a really important issue, and I'm happy we had some time to hash this out. We appreciate their insight on women and the barriers they still face every single day. It's never been an easy climb, and there's a lot of work to be done. And I'd like to thank our producers. Of course, they're very talented, and they work hard to make this happen. Rob and Scott, as well as our executive producers, Newt Gingrich and Debbie Myers. I'm your host, David Grau. So if you're enjoying the show, please give us five stars and give us a review so that others can learn what the show is all about. Follow the Profit is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump, couple of wars, gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. 
Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.